Hello everyone. Bailey here. In this episode of Data Driven, Andy and Frank interviews Ava Naini, founder and data architect of Pulse Operations, speaks to the intersections of technology and well-being. Pulse is an inside tool designed to monitor and report on the health of distributed systems, minimizes human engineer involvement in an effort to maximize employee efficiency and reduce burnout. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you'd like to think of, wait, I still mess it up, Andy. I'm gonna leave it in because it's kind of funny. No, you. I think you were good. You was. I was if good. You like to like think like of if, data as the new oil. Oh, that's right. If you think of data yeah. as the new oil, you can think of us like hard talk because we focus on where the rubber meets the road. Uh, and with me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? It's going well, Frank. How are you? I'm doing all right. We were we were talking in the um, uh, virtual green room. How even though it's Tuesday, it feels like a Monday. It really does. It's I don't uh, know what it is. We call this the dog days of summer, at least yes. here in Farmville, Virginia. And it's you know today the humidity's dropped a little bit, but it's been humid and it's just muggy and the leaves on the trees are getting a darker green. You know, it's like the fresh green they had a few months ago that's worn out and. It's, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's um, still an interesting time of year, but um, the harvests are, you know, either done or starting. And it, yes, it definitely does feel like more of a second Monday this week. <laughs> well, Lowe's has, Lowe's has got the Halloween decorations out. I know. I saw that at our Lowe's and I was like, really? It's only two and a half months. Well, <laughs> it could have been worse. It could be like the Christmas decorations being out in August. It could, it could be. Yeah, those could, they usually put those out about three months ahead of time. But yeah. I, somebody, somewhere there's an MBA sipping a little, uh, you know, a fruity drink with an umbrella in it. And they figured all of this out and made all of those companies lots of money. Probably kombucha. So that's good I for them. I got money on it being kombucha. There you go. Uh, <laughs> How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, uh, you know. Um, I've noticed that it's not been, it's been humid, but it's not been awful. I think the new yeah. house being on a hill and being at more elevation makes it a little drier. So it's kind of nice. This is, yeah. uh, yeah, every day until next, uh, April will be the first, like that time of year in the new house. So, um, sure. I'm told my wife, no kitchen remodeling until we spent a full year here through every <laughs> holiday, through everything so far Good thought. Good that's thought. held up. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, today we have with us, we have Ava Naini. Um, she will correct me if I mis mispronounced it, um, who uh, is, um, she's had an interesting story. She entered the field of data engineering, uh, but she originally uh, started off as a healer and a spiritual coach. <laughs> and I, I, I say interesting because like these are not, and what's interesting is she talks about creating bridges and dealing with burnout. And I think burnout is something we all kind of, the pandemic has, I think, shed a lot of light on things, good, bad, and indifferent. But I think that a lot of folks, part of uh, this great resignation and the reshuffle or whatever you want to ascribe to it, I think is, has kind of changed the way people look at work and their lives in general. I know certainly I have. And um, so welcome to the show. Thank you so much. In the name of God, the compassion of the merciful. My name is Avon Naini, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, my career actually started as a software engineer, and via the growth path that I took in 2016, I discovered my purpose as an energy healer. So people oftentimes find the hybrid uh, approach that I have in my career interesting, being an energy healer coach, and at the same time, technology evangelist so i'm very happy to be in this show and i would love to talk about my journey where it maps to the your agenda and the areas of interest in your audience cool cool so um this is usually you don't most people <laughs> tend not to be software engineers and healers like those like yes. How did, how did you get here? That's really the question I'm trying to ask. Like, Because it sounds like there's got to be a good story behind this. Yes, yes, there is a good story. Being a healer is actually more like a God's gift. It's not something that you cho choose. So it's not, so, many times people think you 
have to go to, to, to certain school, take certain meditation classes, but it's really an, an ability that you have since you, um, since you were born. So since I was a child, I always felt like I can absorb the environment more than other people. I could connect with things more than other people. And I, uh, I have more control, I would say, around my surrounding based on what I'm understanding. And it's not something that you condition you you necessarily want to talk about. It just gives you more awareness, a certain level of awareness. And and my I used to when I was in a school, I was really good actually. I was always sort of like the number one in the class. I was the loner of the class most of the time, helping other people. And um, I chose math because I I find math very intuitive. Like my meditation at at teenage time was solving math problems at night usually past 11 12 when everybody would be sleeping i would be in my room solving math equations and <laughs> praying over them and like really enjoying it so it was my zen zone that's why i chose math and then i um, ranked 151 in the entrance exam in iran i went to sharif university which is sort of like mit of iran i studied computer science at first it was very abstract for me and i'm sharing this with people that are starting college. Computer science is its own field. It's not like math or physics or biology. Really, it's its own abstract science. And in the beginning, it was very challenging for me because my brain didn't have that wiring. And over time, um, I started seeing more interest in hardware engineering. So I did my bachelor in hardware because I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to physically feel what I'm making and what I'm creating. So. I did my bachelor in hardware, then I did my master's in computer science to get a little bit more familiar with the research projects. And that's when, where I chose computer vision because I was always passionate about robotics, Iran robotics teams would rank pretty highly in global um, um, basically competitions. And I was like, I really want to learn this. I want to learn how this thing works. And I did a little bit of research and then I did my second master's in mathematics because I realized to really be good in computer science in the area of computer vision, you need to have a good grasp of statistics and math backgrounds. And that I also did some machine learning research after that in University of Illinois. And then I was ready to go back to work because um, I want to mention this because um, I feel like this is something that um, maybe some people that are new in their graduate research were dealing with. Research in academia is still very far from industry applications. And when I started doing research in academia, at that time, we also I worked on um, projects that were like um, affiliated with other departments that, that they were funded. But it, we're talking about 10 years ago, so we didn't have the capacity of the data that we have today. And I wasn't fully pleased, even though I presented international conferences, I wasn't fully pleased with the depth of the research. I felt like there needs to be more. So when I joined Salesforce, I joined Discovery team, which was sort of like a machine learning team. And even in, in Salesforce, I still feel like, oh my God, the algorithms here are not very developed and the access to data is not the way that it was in school. So in a school, we had data, but we didn't have enough people or resources at that time. In industry, we had people and we had resources, but access was very limited. So in each, every way, I would feel like there are limitations. And then I continued my experience doing more work in search area. I wanted to work with people more. That's when I switched into consulting engineering. And when I discovered my purpose as a healer, it was in 2016. I started my spiritual journey with another teacher, and then I was able to fully embody my purpose, which led to me creating Pulse as a project that basically helps human being preserve technology systems as we are scaling. So, but that's actually a whole different area that I would love to discuss if you're if you're ready for it. Yeah. So yeah, what's interesting is I'm looking at the website. First off, the first the logo looks a lot like a uh, what the cool quantum kids would co would call a block sphere. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. what I thought of. And um, but um so what what is uh, what does Pulse do? Like what is the the logo is actually inspired by the world because I had this vision that Pulse is like this rotating earth and then the tree comes from the center. Technology is very cold and we are always dealing with the devices, but at the end of the day, people like technology because it simplifies their life in some ways and we can use it as a tool and we have to have that separation in our mind that's why i wanted to have the natural element and my logo got redesigned actually by my designer that i unfortunately lost in ukraine war in february so i like to i'm sorry thank you i want i like to mention his name and since you like the logo i do like the logo as well a lot 
So um, the idea behind Pulse is creating a machine learning engine that's able to detect patterns well and is able to detect anomalies and predict them as well. Because what's missing in the landscape of um, infrastructure tools such as Confluent Platform is having is having an engine like Pulse because we have about 20. If you're familiar with Confluent, um, it's a distributed system tool. It's called Data in Motion. Many times um, people use Confluent in the backend infrastructure space. And this tool, when it runs in the infrastructure, it creates about 50 or more metrics and it has about 20 to 50 configurations. And there is no specialized tool in the world that manages this many metrics and configurations. So when you are talking about DevOps, they are looking at the charts that like they're looking at one view in their monitors with like 20 charts and something is not working. And it's very difficult for them to narrow down what is it that's not working. So and when I was consulting, I realized a lot of people recreate things for themselves or reinvent devil over and over. And usually creating such a product takes one year or two. Many enterprise companies, government finance, they don't have that capacity of time to dedicate two years to build a monitoring tool. So either so they is, skip or sorry, they go ahead. Is this the same confluent beat that's the behind Kafka? Yes, confluent. Okay, cool. Because you were describing it, I'm like, that sounds like Kafka, but I always think of Kafka as Kafka, yeah. not necessarily confluent Kafka. Yeah. That's just the weird way my head is wired. No, no, that's actually that's a lot of people think like that because the actual meat of the solution is Kafka. Confluent is a support wrapper, basically. They provide more support services and they have some licensed product around um, um, basically Kafka. And the idea, it can be, I believe, uh, generalized towards Kafka open source. It's just that when you are working with Kafka, I like that you mentioned that people truly struggle, even though there's a lot of, when you were talking about data, Kafka is, uh, it takes a year or two for an engineer to really learn Kafka. And how, how we learn that? By studying online resources. As much as I like to say I like open source product, but this in the sparsity of information as a learner, it makes, and makes it very difficult to learn the information is not categorized it's all over the place and i feel like that's one of the challenges with open source product like kafka confident on the other hand has created a better structure and documentation and some apis around this tool so it makes onboarding easier that's why pulse is more targeted towards confluent user but it can at the end of the day it's a machine learning engine that watches the metrics of kafka and we have a lot of challenges when it comes to data with that because even though for something like Pulse, I'm not dealing with the actual content inside this um, Confluent platform or Kafka. I'm only needing the metrics, which are like performance metrics. People are not willing to share that. So um, I like to say that if we really are talking about evangelism in technology and being innovation, innovative in technology, technology leaders need to be a little bit more lenient towards sharing the data, because without that, really growth is impossible. And when we encapsulate growth, for example, only within our enterprise space or our infrastructure space, it would not be enough because if we sh once we share the data, we would be able to learn together. And sometimes I feel like engineer in this company might know something from their data, engineer in this other company might know something from data, but just because they are not sharing, this collaboration never happens, you know? So I feel like that's really where we are. With the with the technology tools, so people need to be more um, open-minded about at least sharing metrics data, not the actual content metrics data. Because for simulation and uh, a lot of learnings, when it comes to machine learning, learning doesn't work very well with simulated data. You really want to have real data and incident report. So, and that's difficult, <laughs> very difficult. Yeah, I get it, and um, <clears throat> I love the kind of the instrumentation approach that, <clears throat> pardon me, that you're taking uh, towards collecting this data and then applying machine learning uh, to the data that you've gathered. That's uh, that's always been kind of a pet project that uh, Frank and I have actually batted things back and forth because I'm a data engineer. Frank's also a data engineer, but um, he got in, he went beyond that into the actual machine learning and AI part of it. And I've always liked that thought of, you know, if I could auto-generate the data engineering output, then it would be nice to set up this very positive feedback loop where we attempt a different pattern 
and see if that performs better or start identifying thresholds where a data engineering pattern starts performing. You know, if we change the pattern, we reach some throughput threshold and we realize, hey, if we go much beyond this, performance is going to start to degrade. And I see Pulse as being an answer to that. So thank you. I'm, thank uh, I'm excited about it. Thank you. I am very excited about it. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, that that's really cool because I think one of the things that like like Andy said, you know, that the people tend to think of data engineering and data science as opposing fields, where I see them as very much complementary. You know, Andy was very kind saying I went very be I went beyond data engineering. But what he's not telling you is that he told me what 15, 16 years ago that I should get into data. And my attitude as a software engineer was I don't want to be a DBA. Right. right. And this is, you know, this is 2005, 2006, maybe. And yeah. um, so 16 years ago. Wow. Um, so the but that was my ignorance. I didn't know that there was such a thing as data engineering. Right. Which I suppose maybe that wasn't a formal title then. Yeah, um, it wasn't back then. Because it, I was the reason I was picking on you, Frank, is because you had a lot of the pieces to the puzzle um, more than most because you have a, just a natural gift for, um, for art, you know, art in itself. So you got images, you got colors, and you got that whole thing behind art about, you know, coloring in the lines and, and communicating. And, and along with that, you had the software engineering and the, back, the math background. And I just, I knew you'd be great at, well, we were calling it business intelligence back then. That's I right, knew you'd I be great at it. And um, it wasn't, they didn't have a word really for data engineering. The closest they got was data integration. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you know, it's funny because I, I did want to pursue more of a creative career, but my parents made it pretty clear, no. Like doctor, <laughs> lawyer, engineer, pursue a military career. Those are the four options. <laughs> so, you know, computer science is its own discipline. Like you said, you know, it is a very discreet, it's a very different way of thinking, you know. The math majors and the computer science majors in my school, we would always give each other a hard time. Like, <laughs> but it was, you know, but it is a very discreet, different type of field. And it's just, it's interesting to see how, how probably at one point, I remember, you know, I don't know how long it was since my school had a computer science degree. It had been going on at least 10 years before I graduated. But when I got into the workforce, that a lot of the older, oh, that sounds terrible, but a lot of the more seasoned professionals, uh, particularly the recruiters, were very skeptical yeah. of this idea of somebody with a computer science degree. Like, they didn't know what to make of it. And I had to convince my own parents, like, hey, you know, computer science is a legitimate engineering discipline. Now we just lump it all in with STEM and, oh, wow, STEM is awesome. Yay. STEM this, STEM that, this is not what it was like when I was a kid. And, um, you know, I had to convince my parents, like, no, this is a legitimate engineering field. There's a legitimate career behind this. And, you know, my mom, you know, bless her soul, you know, said, you know, was just horrified because she's like, okay, you can make money, but but, you, but you'll be one of those weird people in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of true, though. <laughs> that's what makes it funny like she's not, she's not wrong, wrong. <laughs> you know and the company she worked for like they always had their it people in the basement and like the particularly and it was weird because the, the mainframe people would be locked in this other side like you see so you had to go in and like it almost felt like you were going through a zoo enclosure yes. <laughs> but i mean it, it's funny it's funny how perceptions of careers kind of evolve over time yeah. That's actually you funny say that that that's I and it is sort of true. The isolation of software engineering is the, the reason that I actually left Salesforce to pursue more like product management or consulting because I was feeling that my career is not developing as my people skills are not getting exercised. So I'm getting older, but as like a person that's operating in these business units that are actually working on highly critical projects. I'm still not evolving as a human being, you know, so I'm aging, but I'm not growing at the rate that I want. And this is something that I want to um, voice because I feel like for younger version uh, version of myself, I want them to be able to not be in the basement, not be behind their desk. I went one time to 
Microsoft campus and it literally reminded me of prison cells or JPL. It was really they, they did not have proper lighting. They did not have windows. They did not have air conditioning, you know, so and I feel like as engineers, we are cord we are more on the introverted side because we enjoy the silence and the high period of focus. So we're not necessarily loud and, uh, and extroverted. So sometimes we forget to ask for what we need. And that element of care in the environment is not there. And then, you know, we get a stereotype to those basements. We just get used to those conditions that may not be healthy for the long term, you know. So I feel like these are the things that also have to change with time. Like we need to speak about these things more louder a little bit. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because I've, I've gotten bopped on the nose a couple of times when I, when I say, you know, software engineers tend not to talk like talking to people. And it's like, well, that's not true. And I'm like, uh, look, is it true in every single case? No, absolutely not. But that's the beauty of the bell curve, right? Like, you know, there's going to be, you're going to have the normal distribution and and, and you know what that is and uh, our listeners know what that is. But, you know, we, uh, so I, I rephrased it to engineers, we've earned our reputation, right? As a group, I think we've earned our reputation. Does that mean that there's going to be some kind of outliers that are going to be less introverted or, or, or wait? Yeah, less introverted and ones that are more. Yeah, absolutely. But you're going to see the average, the, 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 the distribution of it is going to be primarily it's not because you, you, you're and this is an interesting thing because I, I want to get your thoughts on this is that historically coding has been a very solitary type of activity. Now, I think that there's been a shift. I don't know, maybe last 10 years. Let's just say 10 years. With with tools like GitHub. Right. Where now coding is almost almost a social activity or a group activity. It certainly it certainly is. It's always been a group activity in the sense that you had a team and you had to work with your team. But I, I think that the fact that, you know, major open source projects. Are worked on by people from different companies around the world. You have something like Kaggle or is it Kaggle? I don't know how to pronounce it where you have these people that are you know working and competing with each other distributed globally i mean do you think that it's less asocial than it was before um it, i think it has gone extreme in both ways because the level like, we are problem solvers as engineers ultimately right. we get yeah. obsessed with the problem and we need to solve it sometimes right. it takes a week sometimes it takes years you know so that's where the balance comes in and it's nice to have the whole i feel like agile structure implementation when it's done right for example it helps with the teamwork like salesforce has a good handle on agile so we have set up meetings people voice themselves I feel like we've gone both ways. So I definitely feel like people that are like 10 years younger than me, sometimes they're more extremes, like they are not even able to articulate themselves verbally there. And I feel like that's an issue. Communication has to be worked on. At the same time, when I started my career, we didn't have developer advocacy roles. Right. You know, so I feel like the the developer advocacy is something that can help engineers to voice themselves as a mid layer, maybe in the company. So and collaborative projects definitely help collaborative projects definitely helps. But overall, I feel like for engineering group at a software level, it's good to have communication coaches. I feel like there needs to be dedicated communication coach for especially for the new hires, because when I was new, I didn't know what my voice is, where my voice is, how to access it, where am I allowed to access it? Where, and those things, those areas of fears, I feel like they are present for any new hire. And it is more when you're introverted because you, again, you don't access your voice as much. You, you're just this analytical mind, you know? And, but well, you when, live in your own voice, like you don't exactly, broadcast. Exactly. So, and, so I totally agree with everything you're saying in terms of having a, a communications coach. The first question popped in my mind. That's brilliant. Okay, now how do we how do we convince somebody who cuts checks? <laughs> how do we convince the people that write the checks that that's a great idea? Work health work life balance. A, a human right. being needs to evolve as a whole. You know, so even if if they're solving the uh, Heisenberg the movie, you know, even if right. they're smartest person it's important how they use their intelligence what they use their intelligence towards so i worked with some of the most intelligent people in the world but they're still unhappy 
they're wealthy, they're successful, but they're unhappy because they don't know how to channel their intelligence in the areas that's collectively leading to growth. So ultimately, I feel like the right leaders would make that move because the same way they understand work-life balance for themselves, they should be able to perpetuate that change in people that work for them. Because ultimately, a developer that's fully developed can grow more people than a developer that's just like one, you know, like just solving solo, everything solo, I feel like, especially in a company. So when you have a small research group, I understand we could have, a, we could be a research group of five people and we could never talk, but we would solve problems separately. That is different, you know, that is like right. a cause-driven thing. But when you're talking about a dynamic of an industry in a company with hundreds of people, you definitely want to make sure the work-life balance score is high enough. And I believe leaders like Mark Benioff and Salesforce, they would appreciate these things. I believe good leaders, they definitely do respect this aspect. And at the same time, if enough engineers speak up, this would auto organically, you know, make it to the top. So that was also an issue. Like I wasn't speaking up enough because I wasn't, I was just afraid at the time, you know, I was new. Yeah. But you can't underestimate the power of group dynamics, right? Yes. Like, and yes. it's a, I can't think of her name, but she was an admiral. Grace Hopper or is it Grace Hooper? Yes. Grace Hopper. Grace Hopper. Yeah. Um, she said that the, the most dangerous phrase in any language is we've always done it this way, right? And and I think that, you know, just like, you know, my mom saying, you don't want to be one of those people in the basement. You know, IT is not like that anymore. I'm sure there are plenty of basement offices and things like that. I myself am in the basement of my home, um, which is kind of ironic as we talk about this. Uh, but, um, you know, there's... It's uh, actually, you said something that I thought about it before. It's... it's uh, it, it fell into this. It's very interesting. The fact that like we kind of enjoy solving problems alone. I'm guilty of it right. myself. Mm -hmm. Because we take ownership and then we have full control and we feel like we're not bothering. We're just solving. But um, when it came to like building pulse, I'm still working and finishing the patent. I I really felt with my bones that the problem that I'm trying to solve, regardless of how much I feel like I can do by myself, I'm gonna need people for, you know? And I wasn't being good at asking for help, which I feel like a lot of people in my past shoes or in my shoes feel the same way. These are the things that we need to work on to be able to collaboratively and collectively work on real innovative projects. Real, like a, a data scientist that doesn't talk much to the engineers open-heartedly with his challenges, is not going to be able to truly innovate and create the next cool thing. You know, that's just well, yeah, kind of dangerous for the organization at large, right? I mean, yes. you know, it, it, it's interesting how, how this has evolved from as the problems get more um, complex and more various, you know, how this becomes more of a, you know, like you said, you know, if you have a small research team of five people, each one of them working on themselves, but there's something to be said for the network effect of like five brains, right? Because then it becomes not just five parallel paths, they become a network of, is it, would it be five factorial? It's I like forget. a graph. Right, right. It would be like a graph, you know, so it would be, mm -hmm. you would get more, more out of the same amount of people. And I think, I think at the, at the end of the day, we're all we're all social creatures, even the introverts, right? Because that's just the nature of humanity. But but I think in encouraging people to to talk more and communicate more, I think is definitely very helpful. And you had said something earlier on that I thought was very, very insightful. I don't know if you you know how insightful it is, because it made me made me think. So you said that, you know, you were you were doing really well at Salesforce, but you weren't interacting with people and you felt that you weren't developing as a human being. I think one, that's an incredible amount of self-awareness. And two, I mean, it's one thing to recognize it, but it, you executed on it, right? Because, I mean, it's one thing to be like, yeah, I've been in those situations where I'm like, yeah, I don't really, not really proud of what I'm doing. I'm not going to say where I was working or what I was doing, but yeah, I'll have LinkedIn. You can figure it out. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I kind of got burnt out and, you know, I was laid off. There's a big clue right there, folks. Um, but I was laid off and, I, I think that, I think I should have, I should have left that company when I started feeling the twinges of the burnout, the early stages of burnout. Now, the good news is, is that when history kind of repeated itself, 
again, big, big LinkedIn clue here, folks. Um, I did that. Like, I was just like, you know, I, I, I knew like the, where, where, where the storms clouds were headed and I knew the path. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm going to play the game differently this time. You know, I may not win, but I will get a different outcome. And I like to think I won, but you know, it is what it is. That's object. That's subjective. Objectively, I did get a different outcome. And, uh, but I think that, cause you're right. Cause you said something uh, to the effect that, you know, you were getting old, you were getting older. And I was like, you know, one of the things as my father would say, this is like, you know, getting older is a guarantee, right? <laughs> yes. Getting wise, wiser as you get older. Well, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so yeah, so I thought it was very profound that you did that. So what, what made you like, cause that, you know, you, you go from kind of these the big tech firm. I know. Salesforce is not in the FANG acronym or MANG acronym, whatever it is now, but like, it's still a pretty big tech firm, uh, which you probably had this like, you know, yay, my life is all set, but you were unhappy enough to change careers. That's, that's pretty bold. Thank you. Yeah, it was a very bold move. And I think I hurt some people when I left because I made a very sharp decision. It was it was at that time, actually, I had a coach as well, and she kind of supported me. So I, I'm thankful for that. It, it, exactly as you mentioned it, I was um, I was fulfilled in some areas. Obviously, I had very comfortable lifestyle, but I was not content. And I felt I I meant for more. I felt like I I can do more. I should do more. I should. There's more for me out there. But I didn't really know what it is. And I paid a huge price. Right? Like when I left, I realized a lot of companies do not uh, value employees. They raise Salesforce thoughts. They don't have proper processes in place. Like I started appreciating everything that I had there more. But I needed to leave and be in this wild world to learn basically the street language to develop as a whole so and and to my i guess past self i would say maybe don't make such a bold decision if you don't have backup plans but at the same time (laughs) if you're feeling feeling, uh, that you're not uh, satisfied voice yourself more back to the whole voice element if i had voiced myself during the seven years almost that I was there, maybe the trajectory was not the same. And at the same time, leadership needs to listen more and be more effective, you know? So, um, because sometimes I think if I was in the situation of the leaders that I was talking to, because I did speak to leaders, it's not that I didn't, I wasn't being heard at times. And I'm not the kind of person that if I'm not heard, I keep and like I waste my time. Time is something that we have limited amount of. We're all here for a limited amount of time. So it stresses me out to think I'm losing my time and I'm being dismissed. But take action, you know, take more action and uh, be brave. Because um, sometimes I also feel in computer science, we don't get to, we are silent heroes. (laughs) We don't get to observe bravery as much as we do in the movies. But we need to start thinking of ourselves as heroes. Um, We do most of the work in any enterprise space as technology people we do the hardest the heavy lifting the engineers in every company they do the heaviest lifting so they should be valued more and they should be heard more you know so i feel like these are some changes that with time should will slowly take take place hopefully well i i think it's admirable that you didn't have a backup plan and (laughs) i'm reminded of you know some some uh, advice I've heard from other people about strategy that often if you, you know, if there's no back door, it it helps you succeed because you just have to plow forward until you reach success. So I want to commend you for that. And um, and, because it is admirable. Thank you. Thank you. I was very, I kind of knew always it would get to that point similar to what I always felt it in my soul because seven years is a very, very long time. And it was the peak of my youth and I was, giving yeah. it my all and I was still not fully content. So it did, I, you learn lessons. So I'm thankful oh, for sure. the lessons. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I have a 19 year old son who is um, working in the trades right now. And he's um, thinking about going into IT. And, you know, he asked me questions about it and I tell him, you know, honestly, and he, you know, he, it, he's the, you know, the first child of my second marriage. And my first marriage lasted 20 years and those kids were just about grown when that ended. So he's only seen me in like the second half of my career. 
so he's he's got this whole picture about how IT is supposed to work, where you write books and you blog, and you know you go to conferences and speak all the time, and it's a little skewed, you know. And I, I feel like yeah, but it's like you're about... watching the Instagram version of your career. Exactly right. That's a great <laughs> great way to describe it. And he's you know we've spent some more time together doing um, doing projects around the house and. And, and more of that sort of stuff. And I've slowly been telling him, you know, this is a lot like IT, especially when you try something and it doesn't work. I mean, that's that's 90% of IT. You know, you think you've coded it correctly, you push the button and it doesn't do what you expected it to do. And so it's, um, you know, while I, and I say that in a way to to tell you, don't beat yourself up so much for your seven years, you grew. You grew in ways that maybe some ways you haven't even realized yet. You know, it's um, it, it's part of this process. And I think it's evident that that you've grown by what you're doing with Pulse and your commitment to that and the idea and the the courage uh, and what Frank said, the bolvis. Those are that's, that's not easy what you're doing. So I'd, I'd say your persistence. Or, or as my mother likes to tell me, my stubbornness, <laughs> it's a nicer word, persistence, it is a good thing. And It's stubbornness until you succeed, then it's persistence, and then exactly. it's admired. That's a, it's a branding that's issue. <laughs> love that. Yeah, love that. So I just, I, while, while I understand what you're saying, and I don't want to take anything away from that, I just, I, I catch this other side of it, because I see this, you know, this young man now, he's 19, and he's... He's out doing these sorts of things too. And he's got these ideas in his head as what it's going to be like. We all know, all of us on this call, that he's not right. And you, nobody is though. So you just have to, you have to have the, I don't know, the the chutzpah. <laughs> you know, the, my, my mom would call it gumption. You know, you just got to have that, I'm going to keep going until something gives. And, you know, it, we're, I'm going to make something happen one way or the other. So sure. I, I admire that. I, I can see that in you, Ava, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I like to say something, actually, because you brought the point of healers. I, I said it to one of the people that sets up the podcast for me, and I feel like it's important. There is a work-life balance, which is something I am very passionate about, and I only experience as Salesforce is very important when it comes to engineering health, especially data engineers, because they're definitely more detail-oriented in some ways, and they're dealing with the volume of information, not necessarily algorithm. So the the when unfortunately sitting at a desk and working with a laptop at a scale of engineer with high focus causes early aging so i want to mention this to people that are in the beginning of their careers to pay attention to that know that that's an effect i observed it in myself and a lot of people that work in tech because i have friends and families there are a lot of them work in tech so be mindful of your time even though we are Full-time, but definitely full-time of being a software engineer is very different than a doctor or a product manager or project manager because they don't want to spend. And the way we look at the monitor is different. It's like the way we look at the book where like we yes. are. And these, the, the wave that's coming out of the monitors is really for, it goes right into the brain. It causes early aging. It just strains a lot of your brain cells. So yeah. be mindful of that. And um, because that is something that's um that we don't want to face we don't want to we, we don't want to experience to the extent that's being experienced and i felt some of these are meant to come out as my generations and generations before because we are the outcome of the era of technology you know what i mean our life stories are the basically yeah. the outcome of the tech era that hasn't been told fully yet and we are going through it as we are experiencing it so well, it's it's like the industrial revolution, right? Yes. You know, we can all look back and say, "Wow, that really changed things, didn't it?" You know, and we're kind of in the middle of something on a similar scale of that now. Well, some would say a bigger scale, but let's just say they're about the same size, right? Um, there, there's this, there's this notion that you know, like, you know, I have younger kids, and so it's kind of like. You know, how do you prepare the job, the title that I have, like whether it was developer advocacy, I think half the job titles I've ever had did not exist when I was in school. Right. So, like, how do you teach kids to, you know, 
to how do you take the education system, which has uh, its own problems, but like in a, in a perfect world, let's assume it doesn't have its own problems. Uh, how do you how do you teach kids to to work at jobs that don't exist that won't exist in, for another twenty years? Like, you know, if you had told me when I was a freshman in college that you know, I'd be working on artificial intelligence systems, and you know, I would be you know I would be an evangelist one day, or you know, what I do now is a global go to market strategist. Like, really? Like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, the the, the like it's just it's yeah. just so surreal in that sense. So. I, like I had this argument with somebody the other day, not an argument. It was like a debate, like, you know, all this learn to code this, learn to code that. Right. And it's like, no, 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 don't learn to code, learn to solve problems. Right. Cause that's what the world needs. And if you want trying to solve a problem, whether it's like your son, Andy's doing, you know, with the electrical components, you know, and, and wiring, then that's what you need to learn to solve the problem. But right. it's the tenacity and the, 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 the force of like your, own will, I guess, not really a good way to phrase it, but to solve that problem, whether that's code. I got into coding because when my, when my parents got, a, got me a computer, a Commodore 64, um, my, you know, which was expensive back then. And, um, I said, Hey, can I get a game for this? You know, which would have been another 50, $60, which in today's money would probably be $80 or up. And, my mom just turned to me and said, well, can't, why don't you just write your own games? Right. And I don't think she realized like what, what that sent into motion. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I should write my own games. And like, you know, when I picked up the book on programming, which it came with the, the C64 programmer's reference guide, I still have a copy of it. <laughs> it was this thick spiral bound was not written for a sixth grader. I'll put it that way. But it was funny because I was I was so intent on solving the problem, which was writing my own games, that yeah. when I found a word I didn't recognize, I'd I'd like to say I went to the library and looked it up. No, I didn't. But I I, and I said, hey, what does this word mean? I talked to an adult, and if they didn't know, then I'd have to go to the dictionary. But <laughs> like I just it was just the, the end goal was creating a game. All the stuff that came in the way, I accidentally learned how to code. Oh, and I accidentally learned how to type because that was a big thing. Like oh, you got to learn how to type. You don't hear that as much anymore because kids grow up with keyboards. Yeah, meaningful solutions, as you said, looking at technology right. as a tool for meaningful solutions. I think that is also, especially when you go to school, they don't like my class wasn't focused on the. It's a little bit too early to teach, I guess, to maybe college students. But uh, I feel like having a course around this would help to set the tone in somebody's mind so as they are looking around they can come up with the um, new solutions because something that bothers me sometimes with technology we sort of became the cool people right <laughs> like right. sort of became but we didn't like we just we, we are here together and it's and technology is a tool to solve human problems uh, sometimes i have discussions with people and they're like i want to build something that simulates the human body organs and I'm like, not everything can be simulated. You need to understand the limitations of engineering and you need to think, or like even when machine learning, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. A lot of people who do not have like any background in science, they start throwing the word around and it kind of annoys me sometimes because it's uneducated statements yeah. or like sometimes they have fears. We really need to look at machine learning as the next tool to solve the problem with the volumes and a scale in the new world because we're going to we're dealing with the volume and a scale in the new world and that uh, we need this we need a shift in people to be able to create new solutions to address that volume and scale solutions scale problems that we have so yeah i mean that's a great way to look at it because it's it's yep. it's not about the tools it's about the solution yeah and we've lost sight of it. Now, granted, as engineers, I think I understand why that is. We, we see a new shiny toy and we want to play with that new shiny toy. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, 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 it's an interesting, it's an interesting time and field to be in. That's for sure. Like you said, we became the cool kids, you know, pretty quickly. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, you work, you know, you work in, you know, you work in technology. Hey, can you fix my printer? And like that sort of thing. Like. And we paid the price of our youth. You That's know? right. We paid the very price of our youth. So. Awesome. So we have a bunch of uh, pre-made questions. I'm sorry, Andy, I cut you off. 
That's okay. I was going there. Cool. So the first question we're going to ask, um, we have a new format, but um, what, some of these I think you, you've you asked, but, um, and maybe we'll mix it up, but how did you find your way into data? Did, did data find you or did you find data? We kind of got married <laughs> because <laughs> we had to. So every project that I worked on uh, needed to deal with data, especially when it comes to performance testing, which is something that's required as part of any feature. So I was always in the data domain. But when it came to building posts, it, it was a need. Any sort of machine learning, as I said, especially supervised algorithm, you want to learn on data. So it's a need for any new technology tool. So it, it has to be part of the process. Unless you're building something that's all you already know, if yeah. you wouldn't be able to like survive without having data to test your stuff, if you're building in machine machine intelligence. So, what would you say is your favorite part of your gig? Uh, the fact that I would enable engineers and DevOps and admins to get more sleep and have a better work-life balance that is and suffer less. Lessening human suffering with this tool. And insight, insight, I think insight is very important. I felt people are developing and on a scalability tools without a scale, without insight, without insight, there's no knowledge. And for me, confidence when I'm engineering something comes from knowledge. And I feel like providing that, giving that confidence is really joyful for me to be able to transfer to somebody else, you know, so they can take that side and then add their human brain to it and it grows. So it's very powerful, empowering. Awesome. Uh, we have the first of three complete these sentence. Um, when I'm not working, I enjoy blank. Music. I love listening to music and playing music. Cool. What do you, what instruments? Uh, I have like a tribal um, uh, drum and I have okay. piano as well. Okay. Oh, cool. And I sing sometimes. Ah, okay. Nice. Um, no, another complete the sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank. Pulse. 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 I do feel that. And I didn't have this feeling before, but I, it's like sort of like I made my baby now. It's nice. the passion that I put into it made it something that's very precious to me. It's my little gem. That's awesome. That well, you, awesome. You, if you don't believe in your own product, you're not going to get anyone else to believe in it, right? It's a, you know, there's a fine line, you know, some people say that's, oh, that's self, you know, um, promoting or whatever. But if you don't believe in yourself, then no one's going to believe you. And plus, uh, one of our favorite authors, Grant Cardone says, it's not bragging if it's true. Mm. <laughs> um, the next complete this sentence is, uh, I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank. Monitor Confluent Platform. <laughs> Makes sense. Platform. Confluent slash Kafka runs a lot of systems. It you know it really, to your point, it takes about two years to really know the platform. Um, if you look, Kafka's influence is in a lot of places, in a lot of projects, in a lot of places. So it's kind of one of these things where, for good or for bad, it's everywhere, right? Whether you yeah. love it or whether you hate it, it's everywhere, and um, you know, and I think a lot of the solutions that were built were built before people truly understood it. <laughs> so there's definitely definitely a need, I think, to to uh, um, to get a better handle on what that's doing. Okay. Plus, you're you're finding kind of this whole opportunity around managing these disparate distributed systems and oh. and getting metrics on them. Ownership, yeah. I'm sorry, the ownership is missing because the problem is very difficult. You know, when you're monitoring one or two signals. You can get away with it, but when you have 50, you know, it is a difficult problem. So, and it requires many minds, you know, so. No, very well said. Yep, agree. Um, I think you already answered our, our next question about sharing something different about yourself when you shared about the healing. And uh, in the interest of time, I won't ask you to repeat any of you, unless you want to add something um, to that. But uh, our question after that is, where can people learn more about you? Thank you so much. I'm a pa I'm passionate about cars. <laughs> Driving is one of my hobbies. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Okay. I do I do have a masculine mind, so I'm sort of like a tomboy. I enjoy driving a lot <laughs> to like get my mind going by the ocean. 
And people can learn about me on my two websites, uh, www.breathworkhealer.com is okay. one that basically is dedicated to my business, my identity, and www.pulseops.ai has information about the project that I'm building, and LinkedIn would be a good place to find me. I would be more than happy to connect and collaborate with others on LinkedIn. Great. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Audible is a sponsor of Data Driven, and um, can you recommend a good book, you know, whether you're into audiobooks or not? Um, there are a lot of books that I have. I have a book list. Uh, I like to read about, uh, I, I started the book by Einstein, The World As I See It. I think that mm -hmm. book has a, has a oh, good okay. start. Yeah, I, I like to read philosophy sometimes about human. Cool. Awesome. Sharing my list. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll definitely make sure that goes in the show notes. And, um, so if you're interested in picking up one of these books, uh, you can go to thedatadrivenbook.com. You'll get a free audio book on us. And um, I think LinkedIn will give us a pat on the back if you become a subscriber. I am personally very much addicted to audiobooks, And, um, you know, now I think it's become a bit of a problem. I'd like to share the work by Dr. Amen. I'm not sure if you guys know him. Uh, he has no, I'm familiar a with him. Uh, you're familiar with him? No, I'm not familiar with him. Dr. Daniel Amen, he has a book, uh, um, You Happier. It's actually really nice because when I was doing Pulse, I'm, I'm thinking about modeling human cognition in a machine. That's like the okay. one. one. Uh, so learning how, what are the components of the brain, because it has many different parts, and what is the role, it, I feel like it's intuitively helping me. And it's actually a very good book. It's called You Happier. So, okay. And it is on an audiobook. Yes, it is on audiobook. It's excellent. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Any last thoughts, Ava? Thank you. I'm very happy to have, be awesome. able to meet you guys. And thank you so much for having me. And thanks for everyone for listening to me, giving me their time. Awesome. It's great having you. Any any parting thoughts? No, just thank you for be, uh, coming on the show, Ava. It was a great show. Yeah, for sure. And I'll let the nice British lady end the show. Now that was quite an interview. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.